just taking control of your life and your heart health, and I can't wait to talk to Sarah B. tonight. Plus, we're featuring more great music from uh, courtesy of Sony Music from Jesse Norman from this album, Roots, My Life, My Song. Now, if you're not familiar with Jesse Norman, she is regarded as one of America's greatest singers. Her powerful voice received standing ovations in opera houses across the world, but more importantly, she helped tear down the barriers of racial injustice. It was never reported that Jesse Norman was living or affected by diabetes in her lifetime, but she did face a great deal of criticism about her size. She chose to fight back against the body shaming and didn't let mean-spirited comments stop her from uh, being who she was. She lived a life to the fullest and continued to challenge herself as an artist. So in a 1986 interview, if you need some inspiration, Jesse Norman was talking to the Los Angeles Times, and she stood up to the critics. Uh, she, she, she actually spoke about the critics who mentioned that her big body made it difficult, in their opinion, for her to act on, in, on stage. She said, it's people like that who give me enormous energy. I'm here to prove them wrong. I love that defiance, right? While our diva inspiration spent Saturday afternoons listening to the Met Opera and operas like Carmen. She told Maury Schaefer on 60 Minutes interview that she envisioned Carmen as a woman who is strong in the face of love, strong in the face of life, willing to do anything to survive, and strong in the face face of death. She only has this one little opera on this album we're playing tonight, and I, I can't wait to play it. This is Jesse Norman singing Habanera from Carmen, courtesy of Sony Music. You can register at Eventbrite or go to divabag.org for details. I'll tell you right now, our image and spell advisor, Catherine Schuler, is going to show us what to wear when we don't think anything fits and how to kind of uh, look at our closet as hopeful and maybe put some of those old outfits to good use and new style. Plus, Marianne Nikolai is going to take us on a virtual outdoor restaurant to master the 
menu at a Mexican restaurant. So you can find out those details about that Zoom program at divabetic.org April 15th. In the meantime, our diva inspiration, Jessie Norman, like you just heard, achieved many honors and awards in her lifetime. She was also referred to as a diva. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Uh, but she was referred as a diva so grand she needed a Rolls Royce to cross the street. I love that. But she said, if being a diva, being called a diva, excuse me, means that she's an artist who is willing to be demanding for a higher purpose, then she's okay with that. Good for you, Jesse Norman. Well, how do you stand up for yourself when people call you out like that? Do you, do you voice your concerns about your health? Another strong woman, I believe, Meghan Markle used, uh, Markle used her voice to reveal to Oprah Winfrey this past weekend that she struggled with mental health issues, including suicidal thoughts. Many health experts felt that Meghan's confession and sharing her story will help reduce the stigma since so many people think that any type of mental health challenge or mental illness is a personal defect or flaw. You know, so many of us assume mental health issues are only caused by neurological or biological factors, but the truth is that environmental and situational stressors, like apparently living in the Royal Palace, can also trigger mental health issues. I uh, have been affected by suicide. My friend Adam took his own life at the age of 30 after struggling with mental health issues for many years. So I just want to take a minute and tell you, if you're struggling or dealing with thoughts of suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Or go to speakingofsuicide.com for resources and a list of additional resources that can help you. And don't be afraid to ask for help. That's so important. That's, that's what I think is being a diva, is asking for help. Straight ahead, I'm going to get the lowdown on keeping your weight down with the help of some weight loss drugs. But first, I got one more song. This is by Duke Ellington and his orchestra. I, you know, we play music every month. I just fell in love with this album, so it's so much fun to feature it really up at the beginning of the show tonight. Here is Jesse Norman uh, singing live. Ernie, that's where she recorded this album, courtesy of Tony Hughes. Let's listen to Solitude. In my solitude. It's not 
in my solitude while I was watching TV because I was on a 10-day quarantine from flying back from seeing my mom in South Carolina, I was being bombarded by atrophotosa and trulicity. So I called our friend and colleague, uh, pharmacist Dr. Mandy Reese, to see if she would join me to kind of give uh, the lowdown on these weight loss drugs. And I should tell everyone that uh, Dr. Mandy has been consulting us on our yearly mystery podcast coming up in September. So we're so glad to have her on the show. Welcome, Dr. Mandy Reese. Hi, Dr. Mandy. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, uh, speaking of solitude and me being quarantined, a lot of people with weight issues do feel like they're isolated and alone with them. And it's so interesting to find out that since 2014, there's been a slew of new diabetes drugs that can also help out with weight loss on the market. So I wanted to go, uh, I, I guess a lot of these promise that they could help you lose weight without making radical lifestyle changes. What can you just tell us a little bit about the background of these drugs that have been coming out over the last 10 years? Sure. Well, these drugs are really interesting. Many of them, um, the class is called glucagon-like peptide analog, a big, long, fancy name. Um, you can call it GLP-1 agonist for short. And they're really interesting because they actually work in our brain, in the hunger center of our brain, to uh, to decrease our appetite. Um, and also, it delays the emptying of our stomach, so we're fuller longer, so we're not going to want to eat as much. And um, it's uh, we started kind of with Victoza, which has to be taken once a day, and now we have these options of uh, this Ozempic, these Trulicities, um that can be taken once a week. And they're all administered by injection, correct? Yes. Um, the um, Ocympic, the generic name of that is semaglutide, and it does have a pill form called Rebellus, um, and that is for type 2 diabetes. It's kind of interesting um, liraglutide, uh, which brand name is Victoza and another brand name is Saxenda, under the brand name Saxenda, it's basically just a higher dose of liraglutide, and that's specifically um, actually for weight loss um, for adults um, with uh, that are have a body mass index of 27 or greater. Um, any kind of weight-related medical problems, as well as for kids 12 to 17 um, with um, weights of 132 or greater. Um, now, what's interesting, and I think we're going to see this change in the coming months, is that Ocympic, um, I always remember the commercial, the Ocympic, um, that once weekly medication recently just did, they did a couple of additional studies on that medication. And one was really exciting because it was not in persons with diabetes, but in persons that had a body mass index of 31 or greater. And it basically just did a higher dose of the Ocympic or the semaglutide and to look at how much weight could weight loss could you get from that? And in the folks that got the semaglutide, the higher dose, they actually lost about 15% of their 
um, of their baseline body weight versus the other group that didn't get the drug only lost about 2%. And I think we all know uh, how hard it is to lose weight. Um, there's so many factors that feed into it. So if we could have medications that can help us lose weight, and many of these diabetes meds that I'm mentioning this evening, the uh, Trulicity, the Ocympic, the Victoza, you know, they're going to lower the blood sugar. Um, they're also going to help lose weight. And there's some added benefits in terms of protecting the heart and reducing the risk of having a heart attack or stroke, which is even better. No, it's interesting. We should tell everyone again that how they how they work is they kind of make you feel full, right, with less food. That's And they yeah. do recommend that people do engage in some lifestyle uh, modifications. But the cons I want to talk about for a minute is that one of them is that you have to stay on this drug. You don't you don't go off to maintain weight. I mean, maybe you can make a lifestyle change, but as I understand it, you stay on the drug, which, again, most of these are injectable except for the one that you mentioned. And also, let's be honest, when you're watching those commercials, the side effects listed at the in the last 10 sec- seconds of the commercial are a complete turnoff. In fact, they're like a horror movie with the crazy things that could happen to people. I'm just curious, since you are a pharmacist, you are a diabetes care and education specialist, what's the reality on those side effects? Uh, how, how dangerous are these drugs? And I always tell people there is sort of uh, really – it's usually GI-related or it's gastrointestinal. So it's basically things like nausea, some diarrhea, potentially um, pain in the abdominal or the stomach area. Um, one thing I've actually found just working with people with diabetes that are on these medications is, you know, if a person tends to eat a little too much or they eat a little bit more uh, fat that's from like an animal, so like beef or something like that, they're going to tend to have a little bit more nausea. It's kind of like the body's telling you don't overdo it, and if you do, um, it's it's going to let you know. Um, so those are the main side effects. Now, those who have had a history of pancreatitis or what I like to call the angry, uh, when the pancreas gets angry and it gets inflamed, um, those folks probably would need to stay away from the GLP-1 agonist just in general. And then folks with um, thyroid, what they call thyroid C cell tumors that have a family history, um, so those are the main things. I can tell you, actually, my, my daughter last year took Saxenda and had some gallbladder challenges with that. So there are definitely some precautions, and folks need to realize that if they're going to take it, that if you start to experience more um, stomach type of pain, increased sharp pain, things like that, you definitely want to call your healthcare professional. And then also, if somebody has a history, uh, they already have sort of challenges with something called gastroparesis, which is just a delayed emptying of the stomach, this particular class of medications probably isn't the best option for them. 
And then um, how does it work in conjunction with metformin? I know you just mentioned that not everyone, you don't have to have type 2 diabetes to take these, uh, these drugs because you just said children are giving it and some people with higher BMIs are giving it as well, but it is marketed in many instances to people with type 2. So is this a drug that you take with metformin or are you letting, uh, are you, how would you deal with your oral medications? Are they, do you work together or do you? start to change. I'm just curious what your history of what you know about that. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I do want to just clarify that the semaglutitide or osimpic and as well as the trulicity um, are only indicated at this point in time for type two diabetes in combination with lifestyle changes. Um, the company that makes the osimpic or the semaglutitide has submitted to the Food and Drug Administration for an approval for um, chronic weight management for folks who um, have obesity um, or who have who who are considered overweight, but that's not been approved yet. Um, and in clarification, this is the one that's a little bit tricky. The liraglutide, the lower dose, which is under the brand name Victoza, is only indicated in type two diabetes. And then the higher dose, the brand name Saxenda. Um, of the liraglutide is approved for weight loss. Now, um, these drugs work really well with oral medications like metformin. Um, so the more ways that we can address diabetes through multiple pathways, the better. So these are great options um, to be taken in combination with um, metformin. Uh, you do have to be concerned with the sulfonylureas, drugs such as glyburat or glipizide, because those drugs, along with these GLP-1 agonists, could potentially cause low blood sugar. All right, and now I want to um, talk about the price point. And I want to speak specifically to this and then just ask you about generics, addressing generic drugs in general. A lot of these drugs, if you buy them without health insurance, are quite expensive. And I'm wondering, do they come generic? And just because of where we are in today's world with COVID and pandemic and so many people uh, dealing with a loss of income, if you're dealing with a drug, can I? how would I address this with my pharmacist to find out if there's a generic available or cheaper option? Can you talk a little bit to that point of the financial burden of some of these Yes, and um, yes, um, I'm glad to because that's that's a very important um, you know factor to consider. These drugs are expensive, um, and there's not generics available at this time. So uh, without insurance, they're easily more than four hundred dollars a month. There are um, there's uh, programs out there or apps with the, like the good RX and things like that, which is good for generics, but not so much necessarily with brand name medications. So from an affordability issue, um, these drugs can be a challenge. And a lot of times insurance companies uh, will require prior authorization. So in other words, 
a lot of times the insurance, your provider's office has to submit documentation that you've tried other diabetes medications, usually that are less expensive, before they will cover um, this particular group of medications. And so really kind of talking to your pharmacist, and I always tell folks, anytime you go to get a prescription filled, and affordability, you're not sure if you can afford it, really talking to your pharmacist, sharing your concerns with them, and then uh, having them reach out to your uh, physician's office just to see, hey, are there other options we could look at, or is there a prior authorization required? But these drugs do come with a heavy price, and um, outside of type 2 diabetes, just medications that are, tr that are used to treat Obesity, in general, um, sometimes can be a real challenge to get them covered by insurances um, because the insurance plan has to have something called an obesity rider. So, in other words, within the insurance plan, sort of in that, they're going to cover those medications. So, just as a clinical pharmacist and a diabetes care and education specialist in a family medicine practice, I've seen how difficult it is to get um, the the drugs for obesity. Uh, it is a little bit easier to get the GLP-1 agonists that are indicated for type 2 approved, um, but there are still some challenges there, and it's expensive. Okay, and in the last couple minutes before we let you go, I do want to talk about affordability with insulin, and also I want to talk about um, expired prescriptions, because those are two things that are coming up in our mystery podcast in September. So. Um, and we're, we're basing this podcast on a real-life story. Um, you know, the, the out-of-pocket cost for insulin is quite expensive. If I came to you and need, uh, what would you recommend for me as an affordable option for insulin? Do you have a, okay. a website or so, something? I do. Um, so just in general, um, for medication like patient assistance, things like that, I recommend needymeds.org. But for insulin specifically, um, I recommend, and I had this situation a few weeks ago, I recommended to somebody, um, is Novo Nordisk has Novo immediate supply. So if there's a person that, you know, absolutely has no money for their insulin, um, Novo immediate supply will provide a one-month supply of a Novo Nordisk branded insulin at no charge. Also, um, Novo Nordisk has some lower cost options in terms of programs to decrease the copay, as does Lilly and as does Sanofi, so where you can get the, the cost per month down on the insulin. And so it gives people options other than going to Walmart and to getting the rely on brands. Um, Cumulin NPH or the regular insulin. And there's, you know, I would say that's kind of like last resort, resort because, yeah, it's less expensive to get those insulins because they're human insulins. So it's like $25 a vial. But the concern is with that is you're not going to get the same um, stable sort of uh, effect on the blood sugar that you get from some of these other insulins. So specifically, um, Sanofi has a website, and I always just Google um, Sanofi or Lilly or Novocare assistance with insulin, and it'll take you to their website. But I do think the little gold 
a little piece of gold that a lot of times folks don't know about, particularly if they get in a pinch, is the Novo immediate supply to get that one month of supply, one month supply of insulin. I love it. All right, and now, Dr. Mandy, I have a life affirming, uh, life saving medication. My insulin, my prescription has expired. I can't get in touch with my doctor. I know. I'm just curious, what would you recommend I do if I'm trying to get an expired prescription filled? Okay. What I would do is I would talk to the pharmacist um, and ask them to um, call that whoever happens to be on call for um, the uh, the physician or a nurse practitioner or PA that a person sees. Um, another option is to, uh, worst comes to worst, you know, going to an urgent care center and saying, you know, my insulin has run out, I need insulin, I need a prescription for it. But it's probably the best option is actually just letting your pharmacist know and having them advocate for you. Call your provider, call the person on call, um, and letting them know that, hey, this is expired, i got to have it. Um, so and many states actually do have a provision that if the medication expires, that particularly life-saving medications like insulin, that the pharmacist can go ahead and dispense um, some insulin to the person with diabetes so that they don't have to die and go without insulin. Great advice. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Thank you. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, coming up, Patricia Eddie Gentle is going to tell us about some top home use blood pressure monitors. And if you can't wait for that, hold on for one second because I got more great music with our diva inspiration, Jessica, just Jesse Norman. She said in the inter, in an interview that there's only two kinds of music, good music and music that isn't. <laughs> and she credits her art education from a public school in the United States for giving her the space to dream. Here's Don't Get Around Much Anymore from Jesse Norman's album, Roots, My Life, My Song, courtesy of Sony Music. Welcome to the show. Thank you. 
So, uh, you know, we we have spent quite a bit of time, and we're going to have Sarah uh, B. from the No Diabetes But Heart coming up. We spent a lot of time talking about heart disease and diabetes, and we have mentioned many times on the show how important it is to know your blood pressure. So you actually did some research for us to find out which uh, monitors are great to use at home. Tell us a little bit about how you chose major choices and what they are. Well, from experience of working with people uh, who have a diagnosis of hypertension and some who are undiagnosed, but um, they do have hypertension. And as we know, we often refer to hypertension as being a silent killer because there are so many people with undiagnosed hypertension or high blood pressure who are walking around daily without any awareness that their blood pressure could be potentially lethal. So um, it is important to monitor blood pressure at home or between doctor's visits. And one of the things I used to say all the time in my telephonic education with patients is that when you visit your doctor, you you basically go four times a year maybe, and there are 365 days in a year. So just look at how many days you're unmonitored. You go to a doctor, you get a blood pressure measurement, and you forget about it. So, um, you know, unless you have a fragile type of blood pressure where they're bringing you in more often, but on a normal routine, quarterly visits to a physician are pretty much what most people do. And so it's very important to have some way of monitoring that blood pressure between visits. So a lot of people will ask the question, well, you know, can I just go and use something um, at a, you see these kiosks or you see blood freestanding blood pressure monitoring machines in different places, stores and uh, other areas where you may visit. And sometimes that's okay, sometimes it's not. You have to make sure that you have a cuff that fits well appropriately if, if the cuff or the device surrounding the arm, the part that goes around the arm, is too small in circumference, then you will get a falsely elevated blood pressure reading, and that blood pressure will not be accurate even if the cuff is too large. So you have to have a well-fitted cuff, and having the monitor at home, you can assure that you have your cuff size. So some of the do's and don'ts, that I just mentioned uh, can be avoided if you can um, get that adequate fitting cuff and a monitor that you are assured is measuring at the accurate uh, with accurate numbers. You want to make sure that it's accurate. When you go to uh, the freestanding uh, meters, sometimes because multiple people have used them and some are not that diligent or conscientious in making sure that they are using them appropriately. You even have kids sometimes who play with them. Um, You may not get good measurements. So when you have your monitor at home, when you do go to your doctor, it's a good idea to have your monitor with you, and you can compare the numbers. You can ask the nurse, uh, the um, MA, the medical assistant who takes you in the room, and and measures your blood pressure, you can ask them to, and they're usually uh, more than willing to do it, 
to measure with the doctor's equipment as well as yours, and you can kind of look at the relationship and see if the numbers are basically the same. Now, the two meters that I selected to talk about, uh, one is Omron, and almost everybody has heard of the Omron meter. I do like Omron because it is pretty trustworthy. Uh, it's been around a long time. You can depend on the accuracy, and it's easy to use, and some of them now have a wireless technology. The numbers are digital, and they are extra-large numbers. You have a backlight, and there is memory in the meter that you can toggle between two users to make sure, um, you know, like husband, wife, or partners, whoever is using the meter so you can make sure that you are logging yours and the other person's. And then there are alerts on the monitor to let you know if your reading is too high. It also uses uh, the AC power as well as batteries. And um, the and it interchanges with the cuff size. So you can disconnect a cuff. Say one person has a larger arm than the other. So you can take the cuff um, disconnect it and connect a different size. So I do like Omron for those reasons. And then there is the DigiSure. It's color-coded, and so it indicates when you have an out-of-range blood pressure reading. It will be either in the red or in the green, or I think the other color is blue that lets you know that you're okay and, and um, you know, you're good to go. And it has the cuff wrap guide on it to make sure that you have an accurate uh, placement on your arm because many people will place it on the arm, but it's still not placed correctly. And you can get an inaccurate reading when the, um, when the cuff is not in the right placement. It also uses batteries or a, a USB port as a power source. And... It has interchangeable cuff sizes as well. So and there are. Oh, sorry to interrupt, but don't you recommend that um, regarding readings and you know, with home use, you should do two back to back to see where you are? Like, you know what I mean? Just to double check that the reading you had is accurate or, con I don't know, uh, exactly. Confirmed. Well, you look to see if those readings are similar. And you can get you can use the average of the two readings. So um, you know if you're getting uh, wait, and, all right. And, and now I wanted to talk to one point before you talk about the price. Not again to cut you off, but I'm I am very sure. interested in this. Uh, we always talk about this numbers being judgment. So here we are. We're now not just testing our blood, checking our blood sugars. We're also checking our blood pressure. If that number really bothers me, <laughs> which I'm sure it does for many people. What do they do with that information? You know, because that would be a reason to just stonewall me from wanting to check again. You know, if these numbers aren't good, people tend not to want to know them. And that's quite true. But that number is so significant, and it can be a lifesaver. And so when your number is not in the range where you would like to see it, then you have the knowledge to empower yourself to make it different, even if it means visiting the doctor between your scheduled visits, or if it means that you change your lifestyle, maybe the way you eat or your exercise, 
uh, activity. Uh, it may be incentive to do a lot of different things when it comes to lifestyle change. So that number can be a powerful thing. It's a tool that you use rather than something that you judge yourself with. Um, you know, and it's difficult to tell someone to look at it that way if that's not the perspective that they have. But the main thing that you, the main reason why you want that number is to empower yourself to make a difference or to be resting assured that everything is good. But if it's not good, definitely take action. All right. Now, what, what's the cost of these two, the Digisher and the Omron? And I know we used Omron back when we used to do diabetic makeover your diabetes. I remember that uh, monitor. It's very easy to use. If anyone's worried about that, I will tell them I used it. So um, what's the price point on these two? Both these meters usually range between 60 to $75. Of course, there are different um, Omrons, and so you can find them on the, you know, the lower price. You might be able to find a $55 up to over 100 But I would recommend getting something in that ba basic price range between 60 to $75. And is this something you can get covered by insurance? Do you know? You can. Lots of insurance companies do pay for the uh, blood pressure monitor. Now, in order to do that, you have to go through normally a durable medical equipment company, a DME, and that is the way that you would get your mail-ordered meter usually, um, rather than going into a store and making that purchase. If you have a physician's prescription, and a lot of the DME companies, if you call them, they will contact the physician for you and get an order. If you have a diagnosis of hypertension, of any of those diagnoses that require you monitor your blood pressure, congestive heart failure, a lot of other uh, conditions that would indicate you need to be monitoring your blood pressure frequently. So, yes, there can be insurance coverage. And I, I did find that a lot of the um, monitors do come without the AC adapter through the insurance, but it is available for you to purchase out of pocket. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you on the other side of our interview with our Diabetes, No Diabetes by Heart Ambassador Sarah coming up. So thank you, Patricia, for all that information. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to hear about one woman, how one woman turned her heart, diabetes heart health around after experiencing great personal loss. And I have to tell you, the story really popped out to me because next month, uh, my former boss, Luther Vandross, will be celebrating his 70th birthday. He passed away back in 2005, as many of you know. And uh, his stroke related to his type 2 diabetes really started to empower me around my health. So I'm anxious to hear how my story might be similar at all to uh, Sarah's. But right now it's time for more music. I know Patricia's enjoying this because uh, Jesse Norman was born in Augusta, Georgia, and Patricia lives in Georgia. So this is for you, uh, Patricia. Our diva inspiration wrote her memoir, Stand Up Straight and Sing, about hearing her grandmother singing songs, spirituals, whether happy or melancholy, always beautiful, deeply soulful, and right. Here sometimes I feel like a motherless child from Jesse Norman's My Roots, My Life, My Song album courtesy of Sony Music. Sometimes I feel like a marvelous child. 
back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm so thrilled to welcome one of the newest No Diabetes by Heart ambassadors, Sarah. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. I appreciate you, you having me on your show. Oh, I love the American Heart Association, and I love the No Diabetes by Heart program. I actually got to meet some of the um, ambassadors in person like two years ago in New York City, and unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we can't do that, but I'm, I'm grateful to have you on the show tonight. Your story just hit such a personal chord with me, and I know people could read about it on the No Diabetes by Heart um, on their website, but would you mind just telling us, Sarah, a little bit about what you were going through at the time of being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes? Sure. I was actually diagnosed with type 2 diabetes on October 1st of 2019. And um, I had been almost expecting it because I have a family history of diabetes. Um, And I was really conscious of it because um, I had been married and my husband passed away in um, September of 2014 from heart disease brought on by a stroke, which was brought on by um, uncontrolled diabetes. And I became his full-time caregiver after he had a stroke in 2010. And I watched how diabetes um, coupled with the stroke um, ravaged him and how it caused him to basically give up hope and then eventually pass away. And um, watching how um, he had been debilitated by the disease, I knew that I could not go down that path. Yeah, I I have a similar story with Luther. I had a stroke in 2003 uh, related to mismanagement of type 2 diabetes, and then he died in 2005. And it was just so dramatic and life-changing for me, and I just... I have a family history of diabetes as well, and I want to do everything I can to prevent or avoid a diagnosis. Let's talk about just being a caregiver because we both share that in common too. It's so hard, if you could uh, go back in time, for me it was so hard to put boundaries. And I know we have a lot of women like you and men listening who not only are managing their diabetes, but they're actively caregivers for family members right now. What's your advice to anyone who's a caregiver um, about how to prioritize yourself as well as your health, and well, given that circumstance? I think the the greatest thing that um, you have to be mindful of is that if you don't take care of yourself, you could become debilitated, and then who is going to take care of the person you're taking care of? So. Even, um, you know, being a caregiver, um, you always have to be cognizant of that fact. Like, I know my husband totally relied on me to do just about everything. And I couldn't imagine him having gone through what he went through without someone there. And I knew that if I didn't take care of myself, that he wasn't going to make it without me and I just could not bear the thought of that so you always I always kept in the back of my mind that my well-being his well-being was tied to my well-being so I had to make sure that I would be there to take care of him and then your 
spark of wanting to take charge of your health really was about becoming more physical and more doing more exercise. Uh, tell us a little bit about that choice about becoming more active. Why you you know were you active uh, when you were younger, and this is something you kind of renewed, or was this kind of a new thing that you put into your lifestyle habit? I had been active off and on, but not with any kind of regularity. And um, after getting um, diagnosed with diabetes, I, you know, made the conscious decision that I want to try to control my diabetes with diet and exercise. And I knew that um, because of the, you know, the times that I had done exercise in the past, I knew that I had to find something that I really liked if I was going to continue to exercise, and I knew that um, because of my diagnosis that not exercising for me was not an option. And so what did you choose to do? Um, One of the things that I do, which I absolutely fell in love with, is rebounding on a um, mini trampoline. I absolutely love that, and I do it every morning when I wake up because it kind of gets, you know, gets the juices flowing in the body and gets, um, you know, gets the lubrication going and um, helps me to have a a better outlook on the day. So the first thing I do when I get out of bed is, you know, go into my exercise room and hop on my mini trampoline. And then I also do a – yeah, I just jump on it, and I also follow – um, there are a number of um, YouTube videos that range from 10 minutes on up to 45 minutes. And I usually follow one of those programs. And, um, you know, depending on how much time I have in the morning will depend on how long of a program I'm going to do. Okay. And then I heard that you ran a 5K obstacle course. So. Again, like at the time of your diagnosis, you had been taking care of your husband. You weren't really that active, and you started slowly, I'm assuming, and I don't know when the the mini trampoline came in, but just kind of walk us through the progression because at some point, as I read in your story, you did run a 5K obstacle course. Yes, and I actually did that um, last year just before everything shut down. But um, building up to that, I um, had actually started, I um, found this group, adventure group, that was started by a widow who um, found that exercise helped her through her grief. And at the time, which was 2017, I, um, having been a full-time caregiver, I never really had a lot of time to cultivate friendships where I had moved to, so I spent a lot of time by myself. And I was trying to find a way to, um, you know, become more active and kind of get back into life. And I discovered this group and um, traveled with them. And because it was an adventure group, they did hiking and biking, those kinds of things. And um, the first trip I went on, it was kind of hard for me to keep up. So when I came home, I made the determination that if I was going to continue going on these trips, I had to get in better shape. So um, that's when I started, um, you know, started work, started walking first and then working out with weights and then, um, 
eventually found the trampoline. And um, then the same group determined that we were going to do a Spartan race, which was the 5K race that I did with all the obstacles. And um, one of the... um, one of the things that we like to do on these trips is prove to ourselves that life goes on and we can be better than um, than we thought we were. That is so powerful, that testimonial about, I just want to go back about, again, you know, because some of our listeners obviously in the pandemic are somewhat isolated and alone, but then others, other of our listeners have experienced tremendous loss like you have. And to just be able to get out of bed sometimes is asking too much. I, again, I just want to ask you to just go into a little bit more detail about the mindset that really led you to feel, even after a diagnosis of type 2, after, even after losing your husband, how you began to move forward and, and help our listeners who might be suffering and they might be in the same situation kind of begin to make a change. One of the, um, one of the biggest um, stimuli for me was actually having watched my husband. He was my example because um, I was actually my husband's third wife. His second wife died of ovarian cancer. So he was a widower when I met him. And he was my example of how you can have life after death. And um, I always kept him in the back of my mind, knowing that, knowing everything that he had gone through. And, um, but I also watched the toll that it took on him. And I used him as my example of, um, you know, not wanting that to happen to me. And so I actually found um, some um, Facebook groups on grief and um, just having someone to talk to who completely understands what you're going through helps a lot. So, um, like, I needed to talk to people who had lost their spouses. Because losing your spouse is going to be completely different from the grief I think someone goes through, with, like if they've lost a mother or a child. So being able to talk to somebody who totally understands how you feel, I think, was one of the, the greatest things for me. I mean, when I found, um, when I found these groups that I could talk to and um, really felt like I could pour my heart out to, is when I started making, you know, making the transition into um, creating a new life for myself because I saw from them that it was possible. And not only a new life but a new menu because I understand that you kind of started to avoid processed food, something that many of us who are grieving might turn to, and started to adopt a whole food, plant-based, no oil, way of eating. So what's a typical meal like and what inspired you to uh, change your diet? Um, actually, in one of the, um, one of my favorite meals um, right now, I am really um, in love with Japanese sweet potatoes. I eat one like every day and um, I'll top it with um, beans or, you know, broccoli 
for um, like onions and mushrooms. And I actually adopted the plant-based diet after seeing a couple of um, documentaries on Netflix that showed what they do to our meat supply. And after that, I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do (laughs) the meat anymore. And um, I actually transitioned, believe it or not, just before that from a keto diet. And because I was never a big meat eater, I knew that that was not going to be a lifestyle that was sustainable for me because I loved fruits and vegetables. And, you know, on keto, you don't eat a lot of fruits and a lot of vegetables and grains. And that was the kind of stuff I like to eat. So then I discovered the um, whole food plant-based no oil diet and was able to bring back all the things I missed, strawberries and blueberries and sweet potatoes. And um, I don't count calories. I eat till I'm full. And by following that, I was actually able to lose 50 pounds. Wow. Amazing. Congratulations. And and what led you to become a No Diabetes Heart Ambassador, and what's that been like for you to be named one of their ambassadors? I actually saw um, a commercial that um, Angela Bassett did, and mm-hmm. she was talking about, you know, No, no Diabetes by Heart. And um, she mentioned the website. So um, because I'm always trying to educate myself on diabetes and heart disease, I went to look at the website and I saw the, um, I guess, contest that they were having regarding um, the um, ambassadors. And um, they invited you to tell your story. So I wrote my story and I never really thought I'd be selected. But um, then I you know, got the um, the email that I'd been selected as a semifinalist, and then I did my interview, and was told I was selected as a as a finalist, and then I was selected as an ambassador, and I was just I was in awe because I just really did never imagine that I would be selected, and um, you know I when it was time for us to be able to go public with it, I you know pretty much was telling everybody about it and I tell a lot of people about my story because I want to be able to you know inspire people to um, you know take control of their lives absolutely and so what what have you been doing as ambassador have you been sharing your story on zoom events and virtual events or how how have you been helping people uh, through the program um I've been sharing my story um on Zoom events and, um, like, virtually because we, we haven't been able to do a whole lot because of, you know, the, the pandemic. So um, we've been having to do um, most of what everybody else is doing, which is basically through Zoom. And um, just, um, like, I tell my story a lot on um, Facebook because I know how big social media is. And, um, you know, I have a lot of, um, I'm in a lot of groups that talk about weight loss and some diabetes groups. And um, so I tend to share my story a lot on um, on social media. You have an amazing story. It's so great to hear. And, and now we should tell everyone that March is National Kidney Month, and um, there's some really great resources 
on that, and uh, if you go to the nodiabetesbyheart.org website, you can find out uh, not only more about Sarah and hear your amazing story, but also about March being National Kidney Month and how to take care of your kidneys. I'm going to let you go in a minute, but before I do, there's one more thing I want to ask you, Sarah, because this is an issue that always happens around diabetic. Uh mm-hmm. Muscles and women. The idea of doing strength training is a big turnoff to a lot of men and women because they don't want to bulk up. I heard that you do strength training. I just want to get your opinion. Do you like? Do you think it's worthwhile for people to to engage in strength training as part of their physical fitness plan, or do you think no, we shouldn't use it at all? Um, I definitely think we need to engage in strength training, and um, really not necessarily to gain like muscle. Like, um, and it takes a lot for women to bulk up, but um, not just for that, but it's also to um, strengthen your bones. You know, as we as we age, you want to stay agile, and you want your bones to stay strong. And doing weight to strengthen up your bones. And um, it also, for me, it, it helps me to see. Um, how much stronger I grow as I do more and more um, weight-bearing exercise. And I just like the way it makes me look in clothes. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.